Please take your Bibles with me, open them to Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. Luke's Gospel, chapter 21. Luke 21, look in verse 20. And let's begin this morning by reading the passage. Verse 20, Jesus is speaking publicly to a crowd of people. And He says this, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these days of vengeance, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And He told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day Jesus was teaching in the temple. But at night He went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to Him in the temple to hear Him. This is the second part of this very long uh, singular discourse of our Lord right before He uh, is, is crucified, uh, just a day or two before that event. It's the last public address that Christ has given that's recorded in the Gospels. Uh, as you can tell by verse 37, He continues to teach in public, but this is the last major speech that He, he gives and addresses in a public place to a public crowd. After this point, he retreats into isolation, really, with his disciples, institutes the Lord's Supper, takes the Passover, all of those sorts of things. 
And the only other instance after this, after verse 37, that he'll stand in a public form is when he's being tried and then crucified. After that, he will relatively quietly be buried, resurrect, and ascend in comparison to the other things that he's doing. And as he wraps up his kind of public endeavors here before the crucifixion, as we talked about last week, he begins this lesson and intends to teach people, prepare people for not his departure so much as his impending return. In this text, it matters because Jesus is telling the people what the consummation of the gospel is going to be like. This is the day, as as verse 28 says, as Jesus says in verse 28, this is the day of our redemption drawing near. God's redemptive plan also includes the consummation of salvation. When that redemption draws near and is fully and perfectly and completely applied to us. Yes, we are saved through the cross, but that salvation isn't realized and fully completed until this day. What we read of here has a lot of mystery to it. It's one of these texts that we beg God for wisdom and discernment on because we don't know all the ins and outs of it, but we do know one thing on this great and glorious day for us as believers, it will be the day of redemption. This is the consummation of the gospel. Where our Lord finally reigns forever. Undisturbed. And this event is ushering in that, that reign. And so Christ says, be prepared. That's what we're going to mainly look at this morning. Be prepared. There are three major kind of events that Jesus is describing in these few texts here. Verse 20 through 36. Uh, all three of them are connected by this phrase, and then, or, or something similar to it. The first one he tells of in verse 20 through 24 the fall of Jerusalem. If you remember in verse 5 and 6, this begins, uh, this whole discussion begins on Jesus predicting the, the destruction of the temple. Well, now he says it's not just the temple that's going to be destroyed. Jerusalem itself will be destroyed. Uh, and this is a major deal for the listeners. Remember, Jerusalem is the city of God. It's the center of Jewish life, the center of government. It's the representative of all the, that Jewish faith and 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 nationality uh, consists of. In fact, it's even the gift of God as promised to Abraham. Uh, a place of, of dwelling, a land that, that will be promised and delivered to you. This is Jerusalem. And Jesus says, this city and all of its, its significance will also fall. It would have been a shocking statement for the listeners because of how much trust and confidence they had in the city of God. And Jesus seems to shatter that here with this very clear teaching that Jerusalem will come under siege and verse 20, then you should know its desolation has come near. Its time is up. Jesus has already predicted this in chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, using very similar language about Jerusalem itself falling. And in verse 21, he begins to tell us what that time will be like it's a comprehensive time. And he says, when that time of desolation comes near, you need to flee. You need to flee the city. You need to flee Judea itself. You need to run as fast and as far as you can. It was customary in the time of Christ and times before that and times after that for 
people when their city was under siege or under attack to, to retreat inside the city for protection. Cities often, and Jerusalem was one of those cities, often had a wall or a fortress around it, and that was the instruction that everybody uh, was raised with and understood. When an, an invading army comes in, we run into the fortress for protection. Jesus says, when the day of desolation comes for Jerusalem, there will be no protection. It will be so comprehensive, so devastating, so destructive, that you will not find safety in, the, in your fortress. The walls will fall. And people will be taken captive. And people will be slaughtered. And you need to run. Flee Judea. Go to the mountains. Those who are in the city need to run as well. And those who are in the country don't even think about coming into the city for safety. You will find no security here. And why is that? Verse 22, because these are days of vengeance. Days of vengeance is a very precise term. A term often used, especially in the Old Testament, to draw your attention to the destruction of the last days. It's a phrase that tells the reader and the listener that this is an intentional moment. It's not just intentional by the invading army, but it's intentional by God Himself. These are days of vengeance. And as such, the destruction will be inescapable and total. In fact, look in verse 23. Jesus mentions the most vulnerable people in the city pregnant women and those who are nursing infants, it will be a day of vengeance for them as well. Everybody will face this day. The most vulnerable, the most helpless, desolation, destruction will extend to them and no one will be spared. It is a gruesome picture that's meant to drive into our minds the totality of what Jesus is saying. These are days of vengeance, he said, where even the vulnerable, even the, the pregnant and the nursing, even infants won't be spared. Why? Verse 23, because there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. The reason this event is so gruesome and Jesus paints it in such uh, total terms of destruction is because this is a day of wrath brought about by God Himself. It's not a, an easy day of warning. The warning is the text. When this day comes upon the people of Jerusalem, it will be a terrible day where the land will be in distress and in turmoil and there will be upheaval and wrath will be poured out. And notice the language, it will be poured out Against this people. It's divine punishment, church. Clear and decisive justice from God upon the wicked, upon people who have rejected Him, rebelled against Him, who are following corruption. The destruction Jesus describes of Jerusalem 
is ultimately brought about by God Himself. Thus we see its total devastation, don't we? Thus we understand why Jesus says in verse 21, you need to run. Because when this day comes, no one will escape God's wrath. And no one will escape God's judgment. No one will hide and be protected in this city. He goes on into verse 24 and he begins to explain three things that will happen when this day comes. Talking about the people, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, he says, number one, they will fall by the edge of the sword. Cut down ruthlessly and mercilessly. They will be led captive among all nations. Those who aren't slaughtered, who do survive, will be exiled like the many times before in Israel's history. They'll be carried off into foreign places, taken captive by Gentile nations, living in places that aren't their homeland. You'll be taken prisoners. I don't, I don't think this text is just referring to the year 70 A.D., although I think it's partly referring to that year 70 A.D., because I think part of these things are fulfilled when Rome does come and invade Jerusalem and destroy the city and destroy the temple. And part of that is seen even today. If you go to Rome, you'll find the Arch of Titus. And on that arch is depicted Titus triumphantly in entering into Rome, leading his Jew Jewish captives from Jerusalem. At least, at the very least, Jesus is describing what's about to happen in about 40 years. You're going to be led captive by all nations. Then he goes on, number three, and he says, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Much, of, much like he said in chapter 19, not one stone is going to be left on another. Verse 44, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jerusalem will be trampled into ruins. So the sword, captivity, destruction, they're all going to be means of, verse 23, God's wrath against this people for forsaking Him. And the whole point is, be ready. Be ready because the day is coming and it's coming swiftly and it's coming in a comprehensive totality. And it will come, verse 24, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Somewhat difficult phrase to interpret. I believe it means the salvation of Gentiles as Paul talks about in Romans 11, verse 11 and verse 12. I think that also is the point of the Abrahamic covenant that you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That's the reference to the time of the Gentiles being completed. Paul talks about it in his own ministry in Acts chapter 28, verse 28. You're not going to listen, he says to his Jewish countrymen, so I'm going to go to the Gentiles. In fact, I think God destroys Jerusalem for the sake of Gentiles. The destruction of Jerusalem and the captives being led back to Rome accomplish the same task as Acts 8 and the persecution of the church. When the church is persecuted and scattered, what happens? The gospel scattered with it. 
when Jews and people in Jerusalem are taken captive into Rome, what happens? Rome brings the gospel into its own city with the prisoners that it captures. God is forcefully making Jerusalem be what it was intended to be, a light for the nations, Isaiah 49. And because they refused it themselves, God will make them be the light of the nations. The fall of Jerusalem serves the purpose of the Gentiles for their time to be fulfilled. For the promise of Abraham to be realized. For the gospel to extend even to Rome. The people that Paul would write his letter to in Romans would remember their countrymen from Jerusalem being led captive into the city. The fall of Jerusalem isn't just for the Jews though. Jesus is talking about something that foreshadows what's coming next in verse 25 and 26. The fall of Jerusalem is a foretaste to a greater fall, a greater day of destruction, a greater emphasis here. In verse 25 and 26, we find the fall of creation itself. You think the fall of Jerusalem is going to be bad. Guess what happens next? He says in verse 25, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. The heavens will bear witness that the day of the Lord has come and that the old is going to be passing away and melting away and it's time for a new creation to be established. The day of redemption is here and consequently, if you are not redeemed, the day of your judgment is here. The sun and the moon are going to bear witness to that. Notice how those are the two greatest elements in our heavenly skies. They draw the most attention. They have the greatest impact and influence upon our world, on our planet. They are the most notable objects in the nighttime and daytime sky. Jesus is saying it's going to be unmistakable when the Son of Man comes. Even the sun and the moon are going to bear witness. Carrying out from that, even the stars are going to bear witness. Likely in the same way of, of melting away and, and declaring their destruction and, and the coming of the Son of Man. It's comprehensive. Even on the earth there will be signs. Those nations that were mentioned in verse 10, nations rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, well, by verse 25, they're going to be left in distress and perplexity. Why? Because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. We don't know exactly what Jesus is talking about with these signs. But what we do know, unmistakably, is that they will be very clear to the people who are present. Whatever happens with the sun, whatever happens with the moon, whatever happens with the stars, whatever, whatever happens with the seas and the waves, it will be undeniable. The world is dying and passing away. And the nations will be in distress and perplexity to the point, verse 26, where people are fainting with fear. Literally, it says, dying in fear. The ESV even uses the word foreboding, which means this strong inner sense of, of future doom, of impending 
destruction. It's going to be evident even in their own souls. The end is here. The fall of Jerusalem is just a, is just a foretaste of the fall of all creation. And it's going to be so evident, so cataclysmic, so obvious, so uh, comprehensive. Verse 26, people will die because of fear and they will not escape their conscience declaring them judged and condemned. And why is all of this? Because the end of verse 26, the very powers of the heavens will be shaken. You and I often put unconscious confidence in the heavens and the sun rising tomorrow and the moon rising tonight and the stars being constant. Jesus says that unconscious confidence in these things will in an instant be undone. And you will have no answer for it. So He foretells the fall of Jerusalem. He foretells the fall of creation. And He does all of that to enter into verse 27 to tell the people, be prepared. Verse 27 is that third and then connecting statement. He says, after all of these things, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And for all the destruction, all the chaos, and all the fear that precedes this, we come to verse 27 and we say, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because our Savior, our Lord, our King is being ushered in with all these unmistakable signs that declare His power, that declare the coming of His kingdom. And it's totally unlike when He first comes to earth. It's such a contrast to Luke chapter 2, isn't it? The Lord is born in, a, in an unassuming manger, in an unassuming town, on an unassuming night, to unassuming parents, and the vast majority of people have no earthly idea. There's a mom and a dad and an innkeeper and some animals and three wise men and, and maybe a king and some other wise men who are aware that something special is happening in Bethlehem on this night. But nobody else. The world goes about its business totally unaware its Savior has entered into creation. But not on the day when He comes back. On the day that He comes back, everyone will be aware. Everyone will know. Because His return will be heralded unlike any other procession of any other king ever before Him. For even the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth will bow and declare, the King is here. Your day of redemption has come. Creation groans for the revealing of the sons of man. For the revealing of the redeemed. And they will groan with all their force when the Lord comes back. He will come in a cloud with power and great glory. Not in a manger. Not on stacks of hay. And not in swaddling cloths. In robes of glory and righteousness. Not with 
the mooing of cows, but with the declaration of power. The fact that Jesus says in verse 27 that He comes in a cloud, and we have the privilege of knowing Luke's writing in Acts 1, it makes us think of the ascension, right? He's taken up to heaven on a cloud. And the angel stands next to the disciples and says, hey, don't, don't be afraid. He's going to come in the same way that He went. Jesus says the same thing in verse 27. A month before it happens. He's coming back. In the Old Testament, a cloud is often used to denote the presence of God and the power of God and the glory of God. We see it when the glory of the Lord descends upon the temple like a cloud. We see it when uh, the people are in the wilderness being led by God by a cloud. Jesus comes in the very presence and power of God with great glory. More notably, however, is Daniel chapter 7. Flip over to Daniel chapter 7. Because Jesus is quoting Daniel 7. Not verbatim, but as you read it, it's unmistakable. Daniel chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 14. I want you to see the similarities of what Daniel's vision is in chapter 7 and what Jesus is describing in Luke 21. Daniel 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Verse 2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, the sea that leaves the nations in perplexity and fear. Verse 3. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise and devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up uh, among them another horn, a little one, before which the three of these first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him. And ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And then I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one 
like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Lots of crazy things going on in that passage. Things that we're not going to get into. Things that we're not even sure about. But the reality of it is this. According to Daniel 7 and according to Luke 21, the day of the Lord will be an unmistakable day. And when that day comes, the Son of Man comes in great power and in great glory, not for just any reason, but to establish His eternal dominance in His kingdom. And not one ounce of His kingdom will ever give way, even in the slightest. Jesus is about to be crucified here, church. In Luke's Gospel. And you know what's on his mind in chapter 21? My final day of victory. The cross is not the end. And Christ Himself knows it. After the cross and the distant future, there is coming a day when my kingdom will be established. I will return in power and great glory. It will be unmistakable, undeniable, and all the rebels and all those who reject cannot argue one iota, and my kingdom will be established for all eternity. The day of your redemption is drawing near. I've gotten away from my notes. Let me find where I'm at. Verse 28. He begins to tell the people to be prepared. When these things begin to take place, he mentions two things. Straighten up and raise your heads. Straighten up means get get ready. Be prepared. Be ready. Pay attention. Be alert. Raise your heads means... Don't ignore what's happening. Lift your eyes. Don't neglect the obvious. Don't be ignorant. Again, be ready because the day of your redemption is drawing near. He goes on in verse 29. He begins to share a parable with them. Look at the fig trees and all the trees, he says. As soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. The word see, S-E-E, is mentioned three times in this text that, that are connected. Verse 30, verse 31, and back into verse 20. And he says, notice the signs in see, see, see. Also coupled with that word and what connects them is the word know, K-N-O-W. Mentioned also in verse 30, verse 31, and verse 20. The parable is, is abundantly clear. See and know. See and know. See and know. In other words, Jesus wouldn't have us be caught off guard. He would have us be warned of these future events. He wouldn't have us be ignorant. He would share a parable that's so plain and clear. It's going to be just like the seasons. You plant your garden according to the times of the year and the the seasons that are so evident. So will the coming of the Son of Man. See and know. See and know. See and know. Don't let your hearts be hardened to what Christ is saying. 
See and know that the day of redemption draws near as the Son of Man's return draws near. For that day it will be a day of great fear and, and terrifying existence for so many, but not for us. We chant and we celebrate and we sing. We praise the coming of our God. But you have to be ready. Truly I say to you, he says in verse 32, this generation will not pass away until all this has taken place. This is not an event that's been prolonged or overextended. The generation when these signs begin will be the generation that is the final generation. They will pass away along with the heavens and the earth. Verse 33, but the words of the Lord will not pass away. Heed his warning to be ready. Verse 34, he continues on. Be watchful. Watch yourselves. Pay attention. Examine your heart. Examine your faith. Examine your confession. Don't falsely self-justify. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Jesus is perfect in His teaching, but man, He really gets the description of our times right there in verse 34. Dissipation is the same word as diversion or distraction. The vast majority of people that we know and some people sitting in this room right now, their hearts will be weighed down with distractions. Diversions. They'll be taken up with drunkenness. And the cares of this life, the, the temporary vain pleasures and temporary uh, uh, plans that they make in this life, the cares of this world will weigh them down to the point that they neglect the warning of Christ. And when that day comes, notice what happens to those who are distracted. It comes upon them suddenly like a trap. How vastly different from verse 28. For some, the day of the Lord will be the day of redemption. For others, it will be a trap that engulfs them along with the world that they occupy and love so dearly. Why do we preach against the things of the world? Why do we, we preach against the flesh? Why do we call you to not view this life through the lens of society and culture, but to view it through the eyes of Christ and the Bible and God Himself? It's because the world will cling on to you like a weight around your ankles and drag you down into the trap. Don't get caught up in it. Don't get caught up in what is passing away. Don't let the cares of this life weigh you down so that when the Lord does return, you are unprepared and unready and unwilling. Church, we're not just sitting here trying to tickle our minds with intellectual phrases or words. We're not just sitting here trying to get a better understanding of a text so that we can walk away and say we're smarter than the next person or smarter than the next group. We're talking about eternal spiritual matters. If you let the world hook into your heart, you might let it hook so deeply that it will drag you into the trap when Christ comes back and you are unprepared. This is life and death. 
This isn't something we sleep through. This isn't something we, we let our minds drift away in the middle of, no matter how bad a communicator may be. This is something where we see the text in our hearts and with our minds and we say, I don't want the cares of this life taking me down suddenly into the trap when Christ comes. Because look at verse 35. It doesn't matter who you think you are. This event is all comprehensive. It will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, including Jerusalem itself. Don't think just because you're a Jew, just because you're in Jerusalem, just because you go to the temple that you're going to be safe. It will be all-inclusive. And in that day, you will be one of two. The redeemed or the trapped. It's coming. It's coming quickly. And it's coming upon everyone. Professed Christian nations and Muslim nations alike. Morally good individuals and true converted believers alike. The day of the Lord is coming. So he says yet again in verse 36, stay awake at all times. Stay awake praying that you might have strength for two things that he mentions. Strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. Ultimately, the wrath of God. And strength to stand before the Son of Man. Washed in His blood. Presented to Him blameless, spotless, righteous, clean. The point of this lesson is unmistakable. How many times has Christ issued this warning just in these verses? Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. It's coming. Here are the signs. There's no excuse. Here's the signs. Here's the mile markers. Here's the postmarks. Get ready. The only way one is not ready is if they sit here and let the cares of the world override what God's Word is saying. Oh, church, let that not be us. Let that not be us. As Jesus tells these people in verse 21 to flee to the mountains, I stand telling you today to be ready by fleeing to Christ. Because again, the day of the Lord will bring either redemption or judgment upon you. And the only way to be prepared is to be found in Jesus. is to be found embraced in the salvation of God through His Son. To repent of your sin and place your faith in Him for salvation forever. Believing that He is the Son of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 1, Behold, today is the day of salvation. While Christ is extending His arms of mercy and grace, you can be saved and prepared for the day of the Lord. And you can join with us who are believers and say it's going to be a great and glorious day when our redemption is realized in Jesus. We call you to that. And as Christ says in this text, we call all of ourselves to examine. Examine ourselves. Straighten up and raise your head and stay awake. Be watchful. 
Make sure you're truly converted and belong to Christ. Don't be led into falsehood. Are you really saved? That's the only way to be prepared. As Christ comes to His cross, He knows this isn't the end. And He prepares readers and listeners alike that what's about to take place at the cross isn't the end. He is coming back. The question is, are you ready? Father, Your Word can sometimes be weighty. But that's a good thing because it deals with weighty matters. Things like redemption and entrapment with the world. And My heart grieves the thought that there are some here who, though they have sat under Your Word and hear the Gospel, they will find themselves entrapped. that the day of Your return will not be a great day for them. But there's nothing I can do. I just pray that Your Spirit works in their hearts, that they hear and receive it and repent and come to faith. God, that's the desire of all of us who know You. For those of us who are born again by Your grace and by Your love, Father, we... We pray that this reminder of Your Son in Luke 21 would spur us on to live in light of Your return, to celebrate the day that our redemption is drawing near, the, the closer that it gets to be more evangelistic and more faithful and, and uh, more service-oriented, all these things, God. As we eagerly wait and long for that day when we see You in power, in great glory, establishing your kingdom forever and ever. Help us to be ready. Prepare our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.